0: You know, Restoration Church, we were planted eight and a half years ago, and we're a portable church. So what that means is we, we, we put everything we own in a trailer, and we pull a trailer up outside of these doors, and, and, and all of this gets set up every morning uh, in this beautiful facility, the Seasons Performance Hall. And by my accounts, we have done this setup and teardown process uh, 480 times. That is a lot of times of doing sit-up and tear-down. Excited that this coming February, though, the Lord has opened up a new facility for us. We have a new location. And as excited as I am about this new building, I'm a little bit of a nostalgic soul. Anybody else a little nostalgic? I'm nostalgic. And I think about what God has done and the tremendous memories we have in this room Like, there was that one Sunday where there was the pastor up front, and he was preaching a really good message, and then the fire alarm went off, and he jumped like a schoolgirl. I don't know who that was. That is on YouTube somewhere. Uh, I think, uh, again, all all the things about this building, I think, um, Easter 2019, uh, which seems like a millennium ago, uh, this room was just packed out, uh, and we had our choir up here, and, and we worshiped the risen Savior. It was a highlight for me. I think about this room, I think about right over here, I think of how many of, of you that we've baptized uh, that are a testimony of lives that are changed. I'm, uh, it's nostalgic, and, and, and I love the memories here. But as I was reflecting, uh, as I was reflecting about this this week, you know, what has made restoration special has not been a location. It's not been a building. What makes Restoration special? What makes Restoration Church a home is the people. The people is what makes the difference in the church. In fact, let me take that idea a little bit further. In 2001, uh, I had moved out of my mom's house, and uh, I was 18, 19 years old. I had no money, so I moved into this dingy little apartment on 16th and Lincoln. This thing was about all I could afford, and it was pretty sketchy. I mean, it was, it was very outdated. I don't know what there was. There was, this, there was this chalk outline on the carpet that I could never get rid of. I don't know what that meant, but there was—I uh, had—my roommates were little rodents uh, that would find their ways in, and they wouldn't pay rent. I would just have to cover their, their rent as they made room. And I remember uh, that year, Samantha and I—I got her to marry me. It was great and uh, she was gonna, we got married on new Year 's Eve, and I was so excited for her to, to move into my apartment because I wanted her to make my apartment like, a, like not just a house. I wanted her to make it a home. I wanted her to you know maybe change the um, camping chair I used at the dining room table and maybe put something real there. I wanted her maybe to hang some pictures and, and do some things like that. But what I found is it wasn't just a location. It wasn't just some pictures on the wall that made a house a home. It was the people. It was, it was her being there with me that made that little apartment as gross as it was. And she will tell you how gross it was. What made it home for me was she was there with me. See this past uh, a couple of weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Home for the Holidays. Kind of built on that song. You know that song you hear on the radio? There's no place like home for the holidays. Because at Christmas time, those of us may be a little nostalgic. And mo- most of us, we long to go home for all that home represents. That idea of going home, it represents a safe place. Home represents a place where we are known, a place where we are loved, a place where we are accepted, a place where we experience peace. In fact, there's many of us right now, as we think about Christmas time, we think about celebrating Christmas with our family and friends. Man, this is what fills our heart, the longing for peace and love and acceptance and being known. But if we're going to be honest, even the best of families are not perfect, right? Right? Like, even the best of families are not quite perfect. Like, 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 as you think about this, maybe you've done this. I don't know if you've done this. But when we get into our car to drive to the family gathering, you know what conversation we're having with the kids? Anybody know what conversation we're having? Say please, say thank you, don't, don't forget to hug uh, dad's sister or she'll get mad. Like, like, parents, you know what I'm talking about. There's these instructions that we are giving our kids because we want them to make this a good celebration. And then... On top of that, how many of you know that there are some ground rules you have to set when you gather with your family? And typically, it's it's typically my wife reminding me, hey, Kevin, at Christmas this year, don't forget, you can't talk about COVID. You can't talk about politics. You can't talk about my brother-in-law's weight. You can't talk about church. You can't talk about about your sister's relationship status. You can't talk about last Christmas. There's these boundaries that we know we can't get into if we want to have a good, happy Christmas celebration. Most families have this. In fact, typically it's kind of like, hey, the only thing, Kevin, you're allowed to talk about are the Seahawks and the weather. That's all you get to talk about all day long. You ever had those conversations with your family where you just kind of say, hey, we're going to gather, but this is the boundaries we have to have in place for us to have a good celebration together. I mean, this is where we need to understand this idea of home for the holidays and everything that home represents. And that home represents our, 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 our desire and our longing for safety and, and to belong, to be known, uh, a place that we find love and peace. Man, our homes at best are a taste of what we experience when we have a relationship with Christ. Those things that we we long for when we go home, like like, like at home we get a taste of them, but those things are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, today, in Luke chapter 2, which is a passage many of us are familiar with, we've heard year after year, we're going to see a little bit about home, that home is where our Savior is. See what we did there? Home is where your Savior is. Now, I I love this passage uh, because um, it is just... So good. And one of the things I love about this passage is it doesn't start out like this. You don't see once upon a time, right? You look in the passage, it doesn't say once upon a time because the story of Jesus is not a fairy tale, right? When you read this passage, what is the first name in the Christmas story? I'll tell you what. It's not Mary. It's not Joseph. It's not six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. Look at what it says. Verse 1, in those days... A decree went up from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. And this was the first registration uh, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. See, the story starts with Caesar Augustus. And you know what Caesar Augustus is? He's a real person that you can look back and see and read about in history. Possibly the greatest uh, Caesar that Rome had known. And not only did we see Caesar Augustus, we also see Quirinius, who was the governor. Now, their political system was a little different than ours, but we would look and say, okay, Caesar Augustus is kind of like the president and Quirinius is kind of like one of the cabinet members who is going out to fulfill the, the, the wishes of the president. And here the author of this book, whose name is Luke, imagine that, he is a well, well-educated, articulate man who's been tasked to give a historical examination an investigation into the life of Jesus. And as he places the birth of Jesus in the story of Caesar Augustus, he is placing Jesus in history. And we can look back in history and historians will say, hey, this event is real. That Jesus, God in the flesh, was born into history. And in history was a man who lived and died and rose again, permanently altering history forever. So this isn't a fairy tale. This is a real story. But as we look at the story, I want to hone in. And I want you, as you think about the story, I want you to think about maybe a little different than you have in the past. I want you to think of this story about home. Where is home absent in this story? Where is home present? Let's think about this. Here, here's the story. Verse, uh, verse 3 and 4. Caesar, he had issued the decree that all were going to be registered. And so verse 3 says, and all were to be registered in their uh, own town. And Joseph, who was from Galilee in the town of Nazareth, uh, went to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and line of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Because of this census, we know the story. Jo- Joseph has to go to Bethlehem, which was his hometown, And he has to register there. He has to register to pay taxes and do those things. And he brings along with him his fiancee, Mary. Now, the ESV says that Mary was with child. And actually, I appreciate the way the King James says that. The King James says that Mary was great with child. That means she's fully pregnant, like nine months ready to burst. Now, I, you know, I'll just say this. I've never been pregnant. I don't know what that's like. My wife has been pregnant five times. And I think when you are fully pregnant, that's when you can't sit and be comfortable. You can't stand and be comfortable. You can't breathe and be comfortable. You are just miserable. So let me just throw this out. If you're getting in the car this week to go home to your in-laws' house and you start complaining, at least you're not like Mary, right? At least you're not nine months pregnant. And what's even crazier for them is the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem would have been about 100 miles. They would have had to take three to five days walking or riding a donkey. It's pretty rough. Now, I think about the story again. I want to think about home. To some regard, you imagine there's probably some excitement for Joseph, right? Right? He's got his fiance with him. He's going to his hometown. Now, Scripture doesn't say how long Joseph had been out of Bethlehem. Maybe, maybe he'd gone to Nazareth to go to school. We don't know. Maybe he'd been gone generations. We're not quite told that. But because it's his hometown, you have to have this idea that maybe, maybe he's excited to go see some family. Maybe he's got some grandparents in Bethlehem. Maybe he's got some aunts and uncles. Maybe some cousins can you anticipate maybe some excitement? Hey, I'm bringing my fiance with me and we're going to introduce you to the family. It's going to be wonderful. But here's what happens. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room at the inn. Now, if you're familiar with the story, as many of us are, We know that there was like a a Motel 6, right? And, And here comes Joseph knocking at the door of the Motel 6. Hey, we need a room to stay. We need somewhere to be. Have you ever thought like, it's kind of a cold reception, right? Like here he is, his wife is ready to give birth. She's fully pregnant. Knocks on the door and the innkeeper says, sorry, dude, we got no room. He doesn't make any phone calls. He doesn't say, let me try something else. Let me try and figure this out. He's like, sorry, dude, we got no room. Like, it's kind of a cold reception for Mary and Joseph. But you know, as I sat in this story this week, the question I had to come with was, where is Joseph's family in this story? Where's Joseph's family? Like, I've got some family that I'm not super close to, but if I called them and said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Is there a chance I could crash at your place? They at least would be like, well, sure, maybe I'll kick my kids out of the bedroom and you can have their bed. Or maybe they would say, uh, well, I'll put an uh, inflatable mattress up or you can have a couch. Like, like, I'm not close to these family members, but chances are they'd be like, sure, we'll put you up for the night. You ever thought, where is Joseph's family in this story? I want to just geek out here for a minute because, again, That's beneficial when we can look into the original languages. The word in, in verse 7, is the Greek word uh, katalama, which is used only one other time in Scripture. It is used uh, on the night before Jesus is crucified. If you remember that story, the night before Jesus is crucified, he tells his disciples, I want you to go to this house, and I want you to talk to the guy, the homeowner, and I want you to say, would you let us use your guest room so that me and the disciples can uh, celebrate the Passover together? That word that's translated in in our text is the only other time in Scripture is translated as guest room in a house. We're not talking possibly about an inn. See, there's a chance. There's a chance that in our text today in verse 7, that inn is a wrong translation. Maybe it should be guest room. Maybe a guest room in his family's house. Maybe a guest room in grandpa's house or in aunt's and uncle's house. And perhaps... Again, we're not told, but perhaps. Can you imagine? Maybe Joseph's experienced some rejection. Can you imagine how that story would have gone? Here's Joseph walking, knocking on the door. Grandpa, so good to see you. Grandpa's like, who you got with you? Grandpa, this is my, my fiancée, Mary. She's pregnant. You're not married. Don't worry, dad. Don't worry, dad. She's pregnant by God. You mean it's not even your child? There's no way we're going to let you stay with us. See, I think that there's a lot that we can see in this text. That maybe Joseph felt some disapproval, some rejection. Can you imagine? Here, probably desiring to come home and have this great celebration, but walking away with sadness. However you read the story, whether you read the story about Joseph going to the Motel 6 and the innkeeper saying, we have no room, or whether you see the story as possibly his family saying, we have no room for you. It's difficult. It's challenging. Somewhere along the way, someone offered them a stable, which was nothing more than a cave, a place where the animals could get out of the weather. Does that sound like home? When we're talking about going home for the holidays, how many, would, how many of you would sign up to go to the stable, to the cave, with the animals all around you, the animals doing their business all around you? Does that sound like a place of safety and security and peace and love? Let's just pause here for a second, little sidebar. Again, we're, happen, we're having this conversation about going home for the holidays. I, I believe that every person, I believe that every person longs to go home. They long to experience this idea of security, of being known, of being accepted, of being loved, of being given peace. And when we have these Christmas celebrations, we have the opportunity to give our family and friends a taste of what it means to go home. And so this Christmas, this Christmas, all of us have an opportunity to invite our family, to invite our friends, to have a taste of home, to have a taste of that security, that belonging, that being known, that being loved, that finding peace. The question is, the question is, will we make room? Will we make room? See, what I found is, is, is home has very little to do with the decorations and the food we put on the table and the gifts we buy people and, and, and the activities we're going to do. And we spend a lot of time focusing on those things for the holidays, but home has so much less to do with that and has more to do with relationships, and the question is for us in this room today and for those of us listening online will we make room this christmas similar to last week when i say will you make room this christmas it means will you show love and kindness to your family even those who might not be deserving would you show love to those who might not be deserving, just as God has shown love and kindness to you when you were not deserving. So when we make room for our family this Christmas, we are making room for others' faults and hang-ups. We are making room that, despite how challenging and difficult it might be, we're making room believing that perhaps God is still writing their story and he's not done yet. We make room by choosing not to hold the past against people. Again, this is where home is not about a location. It is all about relationships. And we have an opportunity this Christmas to make room to give other people the opportunity to experience some of what home offers. The love, the peace, the acceptance, the belonging. There's more to this story, though. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flocks at night. And one of the things I, I always want to think about is, what is the time frame here? We've got verse 7, where Jesus is born and laid in the manger. And then verse 8, we hear about these shepherds. When did this happen? On the very same night. There's no delay. On the very same night that Jesus is born, there are angels, or excuse me, there are shepherds out in the fields keeping uh, watch over the flocks at night. And verse 9 says an angel appeared to those shepherds and the glory of the Lord showed around them. And the angel said fear not I bring you good news of great joy born to this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 13 suddenly the heavenly host started praising God and saying glory to God on the highest uh, glory to God on earth on peace on on those whom he is pleased. Again here's our story. Here's Joseph and Mary in a pretty crummy place to have a baby, right? Like we, like I don't know, any of you guys ever do a home birth? Like our firstborn was born in the hospital and I about passed out. And so like there's no way I could do a home birth. Those of you that have done that, praise God. But we're not talking about a home birth. We're talking about a birth in a stable, in a cave with the animals all around. This is a horrible place to have a baby. But despite the location, despite what Joseph and Mary have experience from the innkeeper and potentially their family. This birth of Jesus was good news of great joy. This birth brought glory to God and peace on earth. See, this story of home is not about location. It's about people. And our earthly homes are an opportunity for us to allow others to experience a taste of what we all long for. But hear this Christmas story. Home and all that it represents, our longing for safety and security, to belong, to have love and acceptance and peace, our longing for home is ultimately found in Jesus. It's ultimately found in Jesus. That's why he, they call him Emmanuel, God with us, because he has chosen. God has chosen to come to earth to make his home with us. And so all these things that we long for, all these things we want in our family of of love and peace and and acceptance, those things are not going to be ultimately found in our family. Our family will let us down eventually. It's found in Jesus. That's what the Christmas story reminds us. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He has come to make his home with us. He's the one who will ultimately satisfy those deep longings of our heart right? Like, think about this. We long for safety and security. We long for those things. And again, sometimes families can be dysfunctional. And while we long for safety and security, sometimes our families can let us down. Sometimes our family may violate our trust. But look what Jesus says. Uh, look at the promises of God. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, for I am with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with your, my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus says, I will leave you nor forsake you. So we long for security. It's found in Jesus. We long to belong. We want a place to belong. We want to feel accepted. And sometimes, sometimes our family doesn't approve of the way that we live. They don't approve. They might reject us. We might feel like an outcast. But look at the promises of God. In, in 1 John 3, it says, see the kind of love the Father has for us that we are called the children of God. We are called the children of God. Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight thirty four. who condemns us? Christ who died for us and rose from the grave is at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. So we might deal with some family issues. We might feel like an outcast with our family, but Jesus is there with us. Jesus is there at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. So that longing we have to be known and accepted is found in Jesus. That longing we have to be known where we can be authentic. Let's be honest, there's times where there's boundaries. We can't say certain things. We have to maybe uh, fake some certain things. But we are fully known and loved by God. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, 6 and 7. Scripture says, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them are forgotten by God. I love this. He says, Even the hairs of your head are numbered. God knows you so intimately. He knows every number of hair. I don't have as many as you guys do. You guys have more love than I do. But the reality is, God knows you that intimately, He knows you that well. You are known by God and accepted by Him. We long for peace. We want that peace, that everything's fine, that, that God is at work. Look what Jesus says in, in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Where is peace ultimately found? Not from the absence of that crazy aunt, aunt and uncle who says crazy things at Christmas. Peace is found in Jesus. We long to be loved. We long to experience love. Where's that found? Romans 5 8. God proved his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8 says, says What can separate us from the love of God? Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God as in Jesus Christ. You see, all these things, and our homes should be a taste of this. Our homes, we have an opportunity this Christmas to give people a taste of these things, but we need to point people to where these things are ultimately found. They're ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Are longing for home, we've got to recognize it's ultimately found in Jesus. That's where we need to turn. That's where we need to hope. And the question is, how do we make room for that? How do we make room for Jesus? Three things this morning. You make room for Jesus when you believe and receive the gospel. Gospel is simply what Jesus has done on our behalf. John chapter 1 says, And all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, the birth of Jesus is significant. And not just because Jesus was born. His birth represents the fulfillment of hundreds of years of, of anticipation for the Messiah being born. But the birth of Jesus led to the life of Jesus, which led to the death of Jesus. See, his birth brought on the cross where he took our sin upon himself. He died in our place and he rose from the grave. So when we make room for Jesus, it means we're going to believe what he's done for us. We're going to believe the gospel and receive that we're made right with God, not because we're awesome. We're made right with God because of what he's done for us. Number one, we make room for God when we believe and receive the gospel. Number two, we make room for God when we surrender to his will. See, if he is truly who he says he is, if Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us, God who came to make his home with us, that means if he's God, I'm not. Which means I have to set aside my thoughts, my ideas, and trust his word and his will. And I'll be honest, this may be one of the most scariest things about faith. Because we have this fear, well if I if I surrender, if I surrender to him, I feel like I'll lose myself. Like I don't know what he's going to ask me to do. But listen, we are not truly found. We are truly found. Who we are is truly found when we fully surrender to Jesus. And as We make room for Jesus in this way. We get to to experience a peace like we've never known before. When we we choose and say, I'm going to believe and receive the gospel and I'm going to surrender to his will. You know, there's a third thing we can do, though. You know the greatest thing you can do for your family? Is you can make room during your Christmas celebration, during your family gathering. We're going to do the gifts and the food and all those things to allow the birth of Jesus to be a part of that. Because again, when you invite people into your home this week, they're going to have a taste of all that wonderful things, the peace, the joy, the love. But we have an opportunity this Christmas to point them to the one who will ultimately fulfill that. So that's my encouragement as this week as you celebrate Christmas to allow the birth of Jesus to be a part of that. A couple of simple things to do. Before you open the presents, before you celebrate the meal, open up your Bible app on your phone and read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Read the Christmas story. Read the birth story. And better yet, as you think about your Christmas celebration this week, man, I would encourage you, Whoever's coming to your house this Christmas, invite them to our Christmas Eve service. Right? I'll tell you what, our Christmas Eve service is probably our best service of the year. It is amazing. And you know what's even more amazing? People are more likely to attend a Christmas Eve service than they would any other service throughout the entire year. And so we think about our family, we think about, man, I want them to, to know the peace and the love and the joy Man, invite them to church. And invite them where they can hear about this. Because you know what happens? When we get Jesus, do you realize we get everything? When we get Jesus, man, that's when everything is all right. In fact, there's a story. I'll conclude with a story. Years ago, there was a wealthy man and his son. Uh, his wife had died. It was just the two of them. And they shared a passion for collecting art. Their estate was adorned with Picasso and, and Van Gogh. And those are the only two artists I know of. There's probably some other ones in their house. And they're into that sort of thing. Well, it turned out that war started in the country and, and the son went off to war to, to fight for his country. A couple of weeks later, the father got the telegram that every parent would hate to get. We're sorry, but your son has died in battle. That father was distraught. He lost his wife, and now he lost his beloved son. And he was distraught with this idea of facing Christmas all alone with the anguish, and the sadness, and the loneliness. This, this old man would say, my joy died with my son. Christmas morning, though, he hears a knock on the door. He goes to the door, and there's a, there's a young man in front of him with a large package. The young, man says, the young man says, I was a friend of your son. In fact, your son died while he was rescuing me. He said, can I have a moment of your time? The young man walks in, says, I'm an amateur artist. And he gave the old man the package. This package would not have been considered a work of art or work of art. But as the old man tore off the packaging, he saw a painting of his son's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the old man hung this artwork above his fireplace, pushing aside millions of dollars of art. That painting of his son became his prized possession. And he was known to sit in the living room in front of that fireplace, admiring the picture of the son. A year or so later, the old man died. And you can imagine the art world, art world was excitement. Hey, all these, all these art pieces this man owns, they're going to go up for auction. All these marvelous pieces are going to become made available. And so the day of the auction, the auctioneer comes in and says, okay, we're going to start with this piece right here. Everybody's like, hey, we're not bidding on that. That's just a painting of the old man's son. We want to get to the good stuff. The auctioneer says, Nope, I've been instructed this is the one we're starting on. $100. I start the bidding of $100. Nobody bids. They wait and wait. Finally, one of the neighbors realizes, Hey, we're not going to get to the Van Gogh's and the other good stuff until we get rid of the sun. Says, so I'll bid $10. $10. The gavel drops. Sold. and cheers filled the room. Everybody was excited. Now they could get to the real treasures until the auctioneer looked at the room and announced auction is closed. And all the people are like, what are you talking about? What about the millions of dollars of artwork? What about all that other stuff? The auctioneer said this, according to the will of the Father, whoever gets the son gets it all. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Whoever gets the son gets it all. See, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, born into history to make a home with us, to fulfill our deepest longings. And as we make room for him, you know what God does? He continues to change history. He changes my history your history, your family's history, one life at a time. So this Christmas, we have an opportunity to make room. Let's pray.